There's a pretty nice view from Mountain View. I said Kathleen MacArthur to her friend Judith Wright on a bright summer's day. And I don't know about you, but my greatest fears are that someone will take all this beauty away. So let's fight, oh let's fight for it, I say. One Life, a lunch hour theatre script by Kathleen MacArthur. Kathleen MacArthur was born in 1915 into one of Brisbane's leading families. Her parents were Daniel Evans of Queensland Engineering Company Evans Deacon and Kathleen Durack, Kit of the Irish pastoralist family. Kathleen had an early life of considerable privilege. However, she turned away from the conventional life of the society matron after a well-publicised marriage to military man Malcolm MacArthur. Discovering her husband's unfaithful ways, Kathleen initiated divorce proceedings in 1947. By the 1950s, she was a single mother of three. From then on, Kathleen forged a new life for herself, writing about and illustrating Queensland wildflowers. Kathleen's attachment to Caloundra began in 1933, when she was 18. At that time, Caloundra residents collected their mail at the lighthouse, which was well chosen. It was centrally located, and later, once the visitors began to increase, it shifted down to the junction of Canberra Terrace and Morton Parade. This meant the post office sat alone at the top of the hill, with insufficient parking and the breathless puffed their way up as if they'd climbed to Brigagan. <sighs> what a ridiculous place to put a post office. With all the changes, we have lost our space. There has even been an attempt to get rid of the lighthouse come radar station, which some think... Prevents the maximum use of our elevated space. Then there are some among us who wouldn't recognise an icon if it were to be offered at Sotheby's for a million dollars. Caloundra in the early years lacked the city amenities of Brisbane that I was accustomed to. There was no electricity, only rainwater tanks, which meant there could be no indoor lavatories. Entertainingly, we had a pair of outdoor dunnies which were serviced once a week. It was up to Dad and my brother Dan to do the burying interspersed with a fair degree of vulgar humour. Look, I found the Christmas pudding sixpence I swallowed last week. For lighting, we had a set of kerosene lamps which needed filling and lighting each night. Quite frightening, beasts. A job best left to Dad. Our next-door neighbours were Jim and Kit Hamilton. Kit was a beautiful woman of great dignity, and Jim was a character in contrast. Jim amused us no end with his shocking habits like keeping his stinking mullet gut and bait in the fridge. Then his less repulsive but somewhat more amusing habit of leaving his dentures in the most inappropriate spots. We had been invited to admire Kit's prize orchid in full bloom, and believe it or not, there were Jim's dentures resting on a doily underneath the orchid. Old Jim, old Ben Bennett and Dad used to go reef fishing together, launching Jim's wooden rowboat from the rocks below us. Their mission was to bring home large, 
delicately tender fish for us all to enjoy. But our father was inclined to overdo things, and eventually, well, we had to protest at fish three times a day. So that was the early 1930s, Caloundra style, with the best beach on the coast below the rocky headland, where one could practice this wonderful sport of riding the waves. Body surfers, like dolphins, were like the children of Neptune, doing it all for love. As free as the wind, they would call... Send them in, Huey! When they wanted northeasters. On other afternoons, they'd curse the southeasterlies for bringing in choppy surf and a horde of nasty wind sailors, otherwise known as blue bottles. The sheer beauty of the place thrilled us. The marvels of the rock pool's marine life fascinated us. Even though we'd been taken to the Sydney Zoo to ogle at the glass tanks of colourful fish, we had it all here. A magnificent exhibition of live performances. It was fine entertainment to stand and watch it all in that beautiful setting of sparkling blue and gold. Above the undisturbed dune, white terns could be seen nesting. And in the low-lying sandy flats, rainbow birds burrowed in shallow nests. Although both Bullcock and Kings Beach areas had been cleared of the natural forest, there were still koalas around. Curlews wailed from the beach at night. Bandicoots dug little holes in the lawn, kept trimmed by Maltman's dairy cows. Echidnas waddled across the tracks where roads were planned for, but not yet needed. Ah, simple times. Next door's Jim and Kit arranged a boat trip down the Pumice Stone Passage one afternoon. I remember opening the oysters on the mangrove roots and slipping them straight into my mouth. What a feast! They were as fresh as Dad's sweet lip, without any washing up to boot. Kit was not a woman given to walking too far. I remember following her over a wildflower plain alongside Two-Way Creek, Squatting down in the grass, Kit had to make a house call. It must have been August, remembering the magnificence of the flowers on display. Kit always said, It is enough just to look and see and of course smell, then leave them be to live out their lives naturally, and in that way they will remain in memory for years to come. After adventuring with Kit, Kathleen's love of wildflowers grew. Many years later, Kathleen asked Arthur Fox, a notable Caloundra identity, to show her where the Christmas bells were flowering. Arthur Fox was a rare artist whose name lived beyond his generation. Twisted by years of suffering, he trots out to the duck holes each day and returns with bundles of Christmas bells made into bunches with ferns. I should like to see the bells growing so thickly that they made a sea of colour. Foxy had promised to tell me when he found a good patch. He kept his promise and assured Kathleen they would only have a mile to walk to and from the car. So off she set with Foxy and his wife. It was pleasant in the very early morning for they had left at 6.30, but time and distance made it hotter. The miles stretched to three 
because in that trackless country the old man had mistaken the direction and we went around the patch. At last, just as the poet Douglas Stewart describes them, we saw... The wild children running in their straight frocks of boldest orange and vermilion. They dance all day in the heat, like little bushfires themselves. They were in large numbers, perhaps in thousands, but still not enough to make a splash across the landscape as my mind had pictured. Or it may have been that we were too tired to enjoy them fully after our heavy tramp. And at that moment, a drink of black swamp water from a paddy melon hole seemed the most desirable thing in sight. The Ways of the Wildflower by Shaw Nielsen It is but a wildflower untamed by man It is one of all outcasts of the berry clan It will not be staying where the good flowers abide It will be burning and crying on the bare hillside In the hopeless desert it will strive to grow It will not be the servant in a quiet row In the sweet garden it will make a moan It will be crying and crying to go out alone To the dark lane It will live in woe It will be in places Where the weeds are ashamed to grow It will turn bitter All the heart of man It is a wild thing That grows with the berry clan Kathleen is back at home in Brisbane sitting bored at yet another cocktail party in the officer's mess at Victoria Barracks when... The head of Alexander the Great passed me by. A vision straight out of my classical dictionary. A real-life Macedonian, without the sculptor's hair, but with the olive skin and the bluest of blue eyes. Any man like that was worth an introduction. This was it. But it took time, for I had met my match, and he was not to be easily disciplined like a Duntroon cadet. After two years, despite all the warning signs that were so easy to disregard, Kathleen got married. The wedding plans were made for the ugly duckling, who from the very beginning caused so much dissension in the family. Me, the bride-to-be, wanted a quiet home wedding, with only enough guests to fill the large dining table, perhaps a comfortable 20. But the father of the bride, Dan Evans, had other ideas. He'd never before had such an excuse to turn on a large party. Cardington overflowed with 200 to help him celebrate. Could it be that Dad really wanted his own social butterfly?
Yolanda had grown a little with a few houses here and there, bearing names like Hawaii, Aloha, Waikiki and Monterey. The ready-to-erect houses were being resumed for staffing army and naval personnel. Colonel Dan Evans was allowed to retain his house as he held important commitments in the army, munitions and shipping. There were artillery posts on every corner that faced the bay and the beaches were strung with barbed wire entanglements. A fire command on the highest part of the headland supervised the minefields at the entrance to the bay. There were many young soldiers who were homesick and an open house was a welcoming place where they could relax. In these times, relaxation is imperative. As for the few people left on the ground, you have an extra responsibility to keep your houses open and keep everyone happy. My second daughter, Alexandra, was born in Brisbane in August 1942 and came home with a mothercraft nurse called Peg. Peg fell in love with Norman, a commanding officer of an anti-aircraft division. Their marriage was celebrated at our house, Restorer, with two girlfriends from Brisbane and a sizable party of Norman's former Tobruk mates. I prepared a hot lunch on the wood-burning stove with a baby distressed by all the noise. I'm certain we were the only unhappy members of the party. The conditions of wartime taught us all a very valuable lesson and did a lot to bring people closer together. Patriotism was the order of the times and the loyalist patriots recycled everything. Dad's old trousers, gone in the cuffs and knees, were unpicked for making overalls. Calico shirts were once flower bags. Mum's old navy silk dress became Mary's school tunic by the same process. Bath mats were knitted strips of scrap cloth and blankets were the result of unpicking knitted garments. There was much pride in such endeavours. It was referred to as the war effort. And understandably, there was a certain amount of showing off in people's war efforts. On the day-to-day -day domestic scene, while goods were rationed, there was more than enough provided for the easy life at the beach. With a little providence, rations could be spared for others more in need. We had ample supplies of rich, creamy, warm milk delivered by the Farlow family. With cream to spare, it was no problem making butter at home and using butter rations for buying concentrated tinned butter to send overseas. What went into those parcels for Britain did not always come out as intended. Imagine the chagrin when a broken packet of Lux flakes got mixed with a broken bag of sugar and cornflour sent as food being thanked for with the comment It was lovely to have starched tablecloths once again. <laughs> Unfortunately, cigarettes were not rationed and so were hard to get. The commanding officer of the day was the biggest cigarette bum in the world. One could always tell if he had called during one's absence because the open packet of smokes would have been rummaged through. His meanness was incredible. Dances were arranged for the troops, and of course they were held in the jolly old School of Arts. Walking home one afternoon, two soldiers in a jeep asked me to a dance that night. Why me? Surely there'd be plenty of better partners. 
Not in your class, sweetheart. Well, I was tickled pink and promptly invited them home for afternoon tea. These dancers were great fun with all those old-time country dancers like the Jolly Miller and the Barn Dance, where the women formed an inner circle moving clockwise and the men the outer circle moving the opposite way. When the music stopped, the men danced with the woman nearest him. That was the dance in theory, but in practice there was a good deal of cheating going on. It was all a lot of fun. Another evening, my young sister and I went to the flicks together. At the interval, a young soldier asked if he could see me home. Well, I'm here with my sister, I said. And quick as a flash, he said... Oh, I can fix that. It might cost me a quid or two, but it will be worth it. By the time the war battles were over, so was my marriage. I needed to find somewhere to settle and happily continue being me, the mother of Catherine, Alexandra and Hugh. For you see, I've always enjoyed being me. So I headed back to my beloved Caloundra. Gonna take a sentimental journey Gonna set my heart at ease Gonna make a sentimental journey To renew old memories Got my bag, I got my reservation Going back no more to Rome like a child in wild anticipation Going back to my happy home Going back to my happy home This podcast series was produced by the Sunshine Coast Council Heritage Library with the support of a strategic priority grant from the State Library of Queensland. This series was produced in 2022 and may not be reproduced for any commercial or non-commercial interest.